1: I'm Justice Mosqueda here for Acting Packing Company, and I'm joined by Mark Bullock. Say what's up to people, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Um, so on the front end, I want to plug uh, your Substack. Can you talk about the uh, work that you're doing there?
2: Yeah, uh, so I, I break down the, the Washington football team uh, on the my Substack. It's markbullock.substack.com, uh, and yeah, I just break down basically all of the terrible things that they do every week um, currently and, and try to try to filter through what exactly they're doing wrong um, and see if I can give some kind of analysis on on possibly how they fix things um, or, or generally just kind of cry about how bad they are. <laughs>
1: so you're one of
2: the most knowledgeable
1: fans of the sport, I think, who is overseas. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how you got into the game because I I really have very little perspective of like how non-Americans get into it like I know Mexico uh like how Mexico operates kind of and it's like big teams right so it's like you got like a a lot of people think like Cowboys and Raiders fans and stuff like that but you'd be like surprised how many like Packers and like Cowboys or Steelers fans and stuff you know are are in Mexico Patriots fans even too um but outside of like uh you know this this half of the world i guess like how how do you get into football how do you kind of follow the game how do you get into it like where where is your knowledge base uh start from and and build through like i don't understand that because me personally like i played the game i coach the game and that's kind of how i know it but i understand like these structures aren't built everywhere
2: no um I, i i kind of I kind of had a connection to, I lived in the States when I was younger for five years. My, my dad's job took us out there. Um, and so just before I turned five, we, we moved out there. And just before I turned 10, we moved back. So I kind of grew up with a bit of American culture uh, instilled in, in me. And um, I, it was kind of, I was kind of a little bit young to get into football at that point. I was more into basketball and a little bit baseball, a little bit hockey. Um and when i came back to england i kind of naturally fell into the the english sports um but i've always been kind of a uh, breaking down why things happen in sports that that's always interested me um like my dad was always kind of a shout at our oh, referee what are you doing or what is this player doing and that, that kind of thing and that kind of irked me And i was like well maybe there's a reason they're doing that and and so i i kind of tried to take a little bit more of an analytical approach of, well, why does that player do this thing? And and maybe that wasn't his fault that you're, sh- and you're shouting at him incorrectly. So um, in like football or sorry, soccer, our football over here, um, it's kind of a fast flowing open game. So it's not as easy to kind of break that down, that kind of thing. Whereas um, American football, your football is every single play is scripted. It's, you um, it's designed specifically for a reason and each player has has a specific assignment to do on, on each play and that kind of thing. So it lends itself to that kind of approach. Um, and I can, I think when I kind of got to sort of 18, 19, I I kind of was drawn to that sport because of that approach. Um, and so at at that point I kind of naturally followed kind of Washington because that's roughly where I was, Uh, where I lived when I was out there. So I kind of fell into the Washington teams and um, kind of wishing I, (laughs) my dad had lived somewhere else to to follow a somewhat better team, but um, you know, that that is what it is. So yeah, I I kind of just, I've always kind of taken that approach to sports and and the, the NFL kind of lends itself to that. And I guess from in terms of learning where my knowledge base comes from, uh, it comes from following people like yourself uh, and and other good writers and, and coaches and and reading as much as I can, watching as much as I can. um, And and kind of just always asking, why is that player doing that thing? um, And within what structure is he trying to do that thing? um, And kind of going from there. Um, And over time, um, I've been fortunate that there's been some pretty good coaches in Washington as well, guys like Carl Shanahan and the, the Sean McVeighs and uh, the Flores and all of that have been in Washington. So I've kind of grown up with that offense. That's kind of all I knew until the, the last few years. Um, so I, I kind of didn't realize just how spoiled I was by learning the, the, those kind of offenses and that kind of concepts and, um, and how football works via that. So, um, yeah, I think it's come from just – years of being a kind of a sports nerd and, and wondering why and watching plays and spending far too much of my spare time, uh, trying to learn the game. So out there, do you
1: think that they will be able to support like an NFL franchise in like a traditional sense? Obviously right now, right. They can do the whole, the NFL is coming into town. Everyone packs the stadium. Uh, they cheer too loud for the field goals and, uh, (laughs) and you know that you look at the crowd and it's just a a cluster of jerseys just yeah. it could be anyone right you could yeah. be like the jets falcons game and there's people there with like browns jerseys from like the 90s and stuff for sure and i know like you know specifically kind of like how europe looks at like soccer uh soccer teams right like they're very they're very entrenched into the local areas in ways that like NFL franchises don't necessarily uh aren't, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um in that like there's pushback against like the Super League and stuff like that, right? So sure. if the NFL comes into town, it is kind of that Super League type of atmosphere to a certain extent. You know what I mean? It it doesn't have that same type of you know the locals got together and they built this football club a hundred years ago. Yeah. And now it's in the premier league. That's, that's not what's happening. It's no. you're being anointed. So would they be able to kind of support, you know, eight home games for, for one single franchise? Do you think there's, there's like a market for that right now? Uh,
2: I, I think it might be getting there. I, I don't know. The thing is, I, I think that there's, there's kind of two generations of NFL fans because the NFL first started getting popular here uh, in the kind of nineties. It first started getting shown on TV. Um, and that's why there was a lot of washington fans here initially because it was early 90s washington won a few Super Bowls, or they won one at the start of the 90s end of the 80s and um and there's different fans from that era and then there's fans from the newer era when they started bringing games to london Um, and as you say like the london games it's not a, a huge amount of jags fans going to watch the jags it's which is basically an event for NFL fans around the country to basically gather and and meet other NFL fans and hang out and have a fun afternoon. Um, And I mean, they sell out every single week. So I, I, I think they could certainly pack a stadium um, every week for eight weeks. Um, I I don't think that's out of the question. Um, I, I don't know how many people would change their allegiances because as you say, kind of the culture here is once you, once you're set on a team that's your team you're not changing teams and i think that's kind of universal right like you don't change teams unless there's some huge thing that causes you to like they they stop existing or they move town or whatever um uh, so i i don't know how many people would jump ship but i think a lot of people would kind of take interest and be like well there's a there's a team in london now so that'll be my second team and i'll i'll watch them because they're here and I can actually go see them. Um but I'll I'll still be a a Washington fan or a Patriots fan or whatever, you know. Um I, I think I think there would be a market for it. I think they could sell it out. Whether they would uh have the kind of rabid fan base that you might get out of there out there. I I, I don't know, but, but you could argue that two teams in LA they're not getting the that kind of rabid fan base but they're they're making enough money off of it to be all right. So uh yeah it's kind- of, I kind of think they probably could make enough money out of it to justify it, but I don't think they would get the huge rabid fan base that that they might be hoping for right,
1: and you know talking
2: about this team that
1: you're covering right now washington uh what I think they're a pretty good example of a team that realizes kind of how the league structure works in terms of collective bargaining right where their attendance is super low, incredibly low right now um it's like attendance. And that's including like the Sean Taylor day, which was also Patrick Mahomes is coming into town. That's about like, I think that's 20% less attendance um, than any other team in the league right now. And it's like 30% less than like all, but like three teams and the other three teams are not very good at football right now. Um, The big difference, right. Is the NFL ownership has structured how the collective bargaining works. So like, Ticket sales can be collective bar, like it's it the revenue split, right? Does go yeah. across the league to a certain extent. What doesn't go across the league is the boxes, the luxury boxes, which is right. why you're why you're seeing every single NFL stadium now looks at ATT, what they what they built, um, you know, Jerry built in in Dallas right now. Sure. Every team looks at that as like the blueprint where they're like, oh this is how we keep money from Mike Brown of the Bengals. And this is how we (laughs) keep money from Mark Davis of the Raiders. Like this is how, this is how we can keep our own money in our pocket um, locally. So I think that's kind of interesting. Speaking of this team, um, you said, you know, people don't change teams unless, you know, something massive happens. Uh, Washington, (laughs) Washington seems like they're, they're going through a little bit of that type of transition right now. So I'll give you my perspective on these emails, first and foremost, and then I kind of want to get your thoughts. I thought it was very convenient at the front end that the stuff about Morris Smith leaked out a day before the, they had to vote for the NFLPA. I thought that that was very weird. Um, I couldn't tell kind of where this stuff was leaking because obviously there's only a handful of people who have these emails, right? The league must have had it because of the investigation. The Washington football team must have had it. And then obviously the original owners of those emails, right? I mean, Bruce Allen has, knows you know what he said, right? So there, yeah. there's only so many places that this can go from. At the front end, I thought, this is probably coming from the league, right? Information doesn't come out by accident. Someone wants you to know it. Um, on the front end, I thought, you know, this was maybe the league trying to get out of the Washington investigation by saying, we got someone, right? And then on the front end, the influencing a vote, on who runs the the union for the players, that would be a massive deal, right? Like that's, that's a massive conflict of interest if you're able to do that in literally America's largest publication, which was the New York Times. Um, it seems as this is unraveling, it is not coming from the league because now the league's top lawyer is tied into this. And I don't understand why they would want to kind of shoot themselves in the foot in that way, right? So I really don't know where these emails are coming from. Um, what what's kind of your perspective on all of that? Because I'm trying to make sense of all this, and with what I have, and again, I'm looking at this from like, you know, thirty thousand feet up type of view. Yeah. Uh, it's not making sense to me.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to really put your finger on. Um, there there is some theory in Washington and around Washington people that. Um, the emails have come out as part of a, of a thing between Bruce Allen and, and Dan Snyder. And Bruce Allen was obviously the team president in Washington for a decade. And um, he was kind of best buds with Dan Snyder and, and um, he was his right-hand man. And, and then there was kind of a messy divorce at the end of it. And uh, supposedly there's been legal battles between the two of them where um, Bruce Allen was, was trying to, Get the other owners, the other part owners of the Washington Football Team, to uh, overthrow Snyder, or you know, have le- stuff leaked about Snyder, um, and and get him forced out by the league. And, and so, the the whole thing with Snyder buying up the the remaining ownership of the team uh, and becoming the majority, well, the hundred percent owner, um, uh, a few months back, kind of played into that. Um, and then then there's this legal battle going on between Snyder and Bruce Allen where um, supposedly Snyder wanted some emails from Bruce Allen leaked or public um, and I, I guess that these are part of that and and I guess it's to kind of show that I don't know maybe that Snyder's trying to pin the blame of stuff on, on Allen and the culture of stuff on Allen and, and anything that could get him legally in trouble on Bruce Allen rather than himself. Um, and, and that's kind of the way those two have always operated in Washington is, is they've tried to find the, the best guy they can to pin all of their troubles on and, and get that guy fired or um, you know pushed out the door um, and, and pin the blame on them. And, and so it would not surprise me one bit to see those two... Dragging the NFL through a, a big legal battle between them and, and trying to pin the blame on, on each other. Um, was, uh, that, that would be, I guess, where all of this is kind of coming from, but I couldn't say for sure. That's definitely where it is. Yeah, I read a theory um,
1: a couple of days ago that because there, is, there was a report from India that Dan yes. Snyder is somehow linked to like Jeffrey Epstein and stuff like that okay and that like so bruce so bruce allen you know obviously from like the adam schefter stuff that came out right like he is kind of a source you know a lot of times and seems like he's trying to link him to that and like trying to like distance himself from jeffrey epstein which is probably a smart thing to do in 2021 um but yeah just so many just this story just keeps getting weirder for me and it's just very odd. Um, talking about this football team specifically, you know, there were rumors this week that, you know, Washington was in part of a three-team trade that would end up sending Deshaun Watson to Miami, and then they, in return, would end up getting to a tag of Iloa. Um, The team, someone from the team leaked to the media that that is not the case at all. Um, so, obviously, that was just kind of like a rumor. But I think the truth that was told in that is that, like, Washington doesn't have their franchise quarterback right now. Um, you know, Brian Fitzpatrick was going to go into the year as a starter. He's on IR with that hip injury. Um, I'm not necessarily sure when he's going to return from that. But then, you know, Taylor Heineke is is the starter right now for Washington. And he we actually had him in uh, the XFL. He was our backup, actually, in, in St. Louis when I was working for them uh, in the league-level personnel department. But, Heineke, Heineke was one of the best quarterbacks in the XFL. We just couldn't figure out a team that would – take him and make him a starter because essentially the way that we had it structured was we gave every single XFL franchise a starting quarterback. And that guy basically got paid more than everyone else. Right. Like those were individual contracts. And then we had the draft pool, which was everyone essentially gets paid the same. We had like escalator bonuses for wins, um, which is something different for the XFL. Basically, if you won a football game, you got paid twice as much. That's kind of how we we incentivized uh, winning with the XFL. I know they did it the first time around in like 2000 or whatever, Um, completely different XFL organizations other than the top man. But it's a thought that, you know, Vince liked, so we kept it. Um, Heineke was a guy that we very much wanted to start. There were probably three starting quarterbacks going into the XFL season. We knew Taylor was better than, but for whatever reason, those coaching staffs, They didn't want him and they're running their own team, so we can only tell him so much. You know what I mean? But the fact that he stuck on with St. Louis, um, I thought was really good. Even when we looked at his practice reps, he was kind of like our our get out of jail free card. We're like if a quarterback would have gotten hurt, we would have been able to convince a team to trade him in some sort of way and get another starting caliber quarterback so that a quarter of our games weren't unwatchable, right? That was kind of our plan with him. And then, obviously, Jordan Ta'amu did great with the St. Louis Battlehawks, and he ended up getting – I think he was on the Chiefs practice squad for a while. Um, He should still be getting uh, developmental reps somewhere. I really like what Jordan can bring to the table. But Taylor, I mean, has stepped up, um, has played not bad. I mean, he's not going to give you the explosives. That you know you would think of like your traditional vet starting quarterback in the league, but he can kind of operate on time, right?
2: Yeah, he's um he's been an interesting one because he he's been a very much a roller coaster ride where he he um he'll have the some good games and some very bad games, uh, and you never really know quite where you sit with him. Um, and and the comparison that people are making with him is is Ryan Fitzpatrick because um, he'll, he'll give guys an opportunity um, to go and make a play. um, And sometimes that will work and it will pay off and it will look good. And and you'll have a a 300 yard game with three touchdowns and no interceptions and and being with a chance of winning it. And other weeks that will be a hundred yards and four interceptions. And so um, that's kind of where we're at with him where he's played a couple of tough teams uh, and I expect he'll be playing another uh, a tough tough team this week. And, and uh, we'll, we'll see how he manages going forward, but yeah, he, he's been up and down. I, I think um, he, he's actually not had too bad of a setup around him. The offensive line has been very good. The run game has been good when they've run the ball um, at receiver. Obviously I, I think we're going to get on to a couple of the receivers, but, um Terry McLaurin's obviously a stud um and they they've had some other guys step up a, around him um and so he's had some decent weapons and and some opportunities um and when he has been kind of his natural self he's he's made some good plays he's used his mobility to kind of scramble around and extend plays and and kind of make things off script um but there's been some opportunities certainly last week that uh, against the Chiefs that he missed. And, and there, there's a theory going around that um, they're coaching him to try to be a little bit more of a game manager than um, and take less risks, and that is resulting in him missing opportunities to throw the ball down the field. Um, I'm not sure I 100% buy into that, um, but he certainly isn't uh, just putting the ball out there the, the way he was um earlier in the season
1: so you already touched on Terry McLaurin so McLaurin and Samuel were both uh, did not practice yesterday um, recording this on on a, on a Thursday maybe they record maybe they uh, practice on this Thursday um, we're, we're doing this before noon Pacific time so we don't have the injury reports yet how big I mean it's obviously big but do they have a chance to win the ball game if, if those guys can't play or? Even if Terry misses the game, you know, do, do they have a chance? Is there enough explosive power offensively? Because, you know, Antonio Gibson, who's kind of like their explosive back, too, if we're talking about, you know, a guy who can get 15-plus yard, you know, chunk plays and just move down the field, he's that guy, and he's on the injury report, too. So it's like all yeah. the explosive guys are the guys that they might be missing this week.
2: Yeah. They, they have, they went into the season kind of with a core of guys that you thought they have a, a decent set of weapons. They had Terry McLaurin is, is fantastic. And I think he'll establish himself as one of the best receivers in the league. Um Curtis Samuel is, is a, obviously a, a, a very dynamic threat. As you mentioned, Antonio Gibson um, is not in a too dissimilar role to Curtis Samuel, but he's a, he's a back rather than a receiver. Um, and Logan Thomas emerged last year as a tight end. Um And Three out of the, well, as you say all four of those guys are on the injury report right now um i would be surprised if Terry McLaurin doesn't play um Curtis Samuel has kind of been, he's been battling an injury all off season, um and he didn't play for the most of the start of the season um and they kind of got him back for the last couple of games but he's been on a limited pitch count and and they've gone over that and they've kind of felt like he's not necessarily fully himself yet so i'd be I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play um Gibson's been battling a shin injury so I, I, I don't know whether he'll play or not he's made he's made it through the last few weeks after not practicing but um he was noticeably kind of limping at the end of last week so I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to rest him um and Logan Thomas won't be back until next week because I think he went on IR so um yeah Terry McLaurin if he doesn't play I don't see where the production comes from the passing game um they they've had some guys step up uh, Ricky Seals-Jones uh, as a tight end he's he stepped up in place of uh Logan Thomas uh they've got Diami Brown um the rookie from uh North Carolina I think um he, he uh is a is a nice down the field threat but he hasn't quite gone the, the same page as Heineke so far this year um I don't know whether he would be able to replace Terry McLaurin um it'd be a pretty tough job for him to do and, and then they kind of got a bunch of guys like Adam Humphreys and Dax Milne and, and that kind of thing that are, are decent players, but you're not gonna get the explosive chunk plays out of them. So yeah, if Terry McLaurin isn't playing, then I, I I have no hope for Washington. I don't think Washington will win anyway, but um if Terry McLaurin's out then yeah they they, they will it will be a long day for me. <laughs>
1: All right. Now that we've uh, covered our bases, uh, we're going to toss it to break and then we'll get more in depth on kind of these matchups.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in
1: Um, let's talk about when Washington has the football, uh, first and foremost. So that offensive line, you said they've been doing good, um, but they're a little banged up right now. I know Cosme, Scherf, Leno, all three of them are on the injury report too. Um, So not just talking about this passing game. Actually, let's start it with this. Adam Humphreys. So you're going to remember Adam Humphreys as the guy who got $40 million from the Tennessee Titans and then basically did nothing with it. I I don't know if (laughs) – I don't know if any player has ever gone from like, I'm a producer. I got paid to just completely like falling out of like the thought of the general NFL base as much as him. How much is he doing for you guys right now? Cause you talked about him before the break, you know, yeah, he's a D- he's, player, but he's not he's, dynamic.
2: No, he's not dynamic. He's a, he's kind of their, their slot guy. And you know, an, I think in an ideal world, um, they'd have Dami Brown playing the Z uh, Terry McLaurin playing the X and Curtis Samuel would play in the slot instead. Uh, but because of Samuel's injury, um, Humphreys has been playing the slot. And the idea was is that Humphreys has a connection with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They they both had their best years together in Tampa Bay. So uh, the thought was is that he'd be Ryan Fitzpatrick's go-to guy. But obviously Fitzpatrick went down in the first game and uh, isn't due back until after the bye. So um, yeah, he, he definitely hasn't been on the same wavelength as as he would be with fits as he has, as he has been with uh, Heineke. So, um, yeah, he's not a dynamic guy. He's kind of one of those little shifty s- slot receivers that can pick up five or seven or eight yards here or there, but, um, you don't rely on him for chunk plays. Um, yeah, he, he, um, to your comment of he's gone from the guy that got forty million to doing nothing with it, I would say look at just about any Washington free agent for the past twenty years, and you'd probably see a lot of guys in a similar situation. Um, but yeah, certainly, um, yeah, he's not a guy that moves the needle. Certainly, uh, he, he he's a he's a solid, productive football player, but he's nothing more than that. So one benefit Washington is going to have
1: going into this game is the fact that green Bay's pass rushing unit is banged up. Obviously they just signed Whitney Merciless. He's at practice today. Who knows how much he's going to be able to um, get into the game. I mean, I don't, I don't think that it would be that hard to get a pass rusher, at least in situational reps um, into the game off of a short week. Uh, you could look back yeah. at like Khalil Mack when he was traded from, from the Raiders they got him quickly turned around against green Bay and he basically only played pressure packages, right? Because you have to learn the verbiage and the checks and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think you can get Whitney Merciless some reps in this upcoming game, but the fact that they have three guys on IR at outside linebacker, including Zadarius Smith, that's a big deal in of itself. Preston Smith back-to-back days has not been practicing with an oblique injury. S- really seems like he's probably not going to play. So you end up getting like, Two guys who pretty much don't bring anything off the bench, Garvin's done a little bit, Rashawn Gary, who's just a bull rusher, and then limited Whitney merciless snaps off of the bench <laughs> right so that's that's kind of what these you know the football team is going to get um so if they're able to hold on to that ball a little bit are they are they going to be able to get enough explosives? I guess a lot of that's dependent on the wide receivers being healthy right
2: yeah, for sure if terry is is in the game then that that's absolutely a, a winning matchup for them. Um, I, I'm sure they'll try to get, hit up dial up some stuff to uh, De'ami Brown as well, um, who was a, kind of a deep threat in college, and he has a little bit more to his game. But um, he's had a few struggles with drops, but they've been trying to hit some stuff to him down the field. They just haven't quite connected on that. Um, so I, I would expect them to try to take some shots with those guys, especially with as you say, the injuries uh, with the with the pass rushers. Um, and Washington's offensive line has been pretty good um, in both the run game and in pass protection. Um, it, you, you mentioned they did have injuries to uh, Cosme at right tackle and Brandon Sheriff. Um, but they've had Wes Schweitzer step in at right guard. Um, he was the starter at left guard last year. Uh, and they had um, – well, I can't remember the backup tackle's name right now, but he – uh, started last year at left tackle and is now their backup swing tackle, so he's starting at right tackle now. Um, and, and those guys stepped in last week against the Chiefs and and, and held up admirably. So um, I, I don't think pass rush will be too much of an issue with them uh, for them. Obviously, as you say, Packers are missing some guys, so I, I think that could be a chance for Heineke to hold onto the ball and let those down the field shots develop. Um, it's it's whether a Terry McLaurin's fit and healthy, ready to go, um, and, and B, whether they can scheme some, some stuff up with with Diami Brown um, and, and Terry together, um, which generally they're pretty good at. It's, it's whether Heineke can uh, can connect on it.
1: Uh, just one note that I want to bring up. Uh, Jay Sternberger is uh, a tight end for you guys now. You guys signed him to the 53. Yes. He is infamous in Green Bay for being the pick before Terry McLaurin. <laughs> uh, I, I, w- I want to put that on your radar. A I lot of, know that a lot of screenshots. Yeah, I know because you're not like in the depths of, of Packers <laughs> fandom brain. There's been the amount of times that draft class, the 2019 draft classes, like Wikipedia page, with mm-hmm. you know him being just one slot of head ahead of Terry McLaurin. It's been screenshotted a million times and put on I'm Twitter. Sure. I All just right. want to put that on your radar. Um, the okay. last thing that I want to touch. Uh, for, for kind of this matchup with, you know, Washington holding the ball, because, you know, I think we've talked about their offense enough. Um, Darnell Savage uh, returned to practice today. He had a concussion. He's their starting safety. Um, he's very good in terms of, like, man coverage skills. Um, not necessarily him playing man, but, like, you know, match coverage skills is the same sure. thing. His, his movement skills are great. He has ball skills, you know, even though uh, – uh, what's his name? Chase got him on one against the uh, against the Bengals. Um, and then Kevin King uh, is practicing for the second straight day after having a, sh- a shoulder injury that's kind of kept him out the last two weeks. So hopefully they're getting a little bit more healthy on the back end. But the guy I wanted to talk about, Chase Roulier, the uh, center. So he's going to yes. need to come up big because Kenny Clark is having a legitimate Pro Bowl type of season since week one. He kind of had a rough start week one, but then since then he's been doing good. Chase was a guy I always liked. So he was the center for uh Josh Allen at Wyoming and if you watch that Wyoming offense they kind of built their offense around Chase Roulier. like they would run behind him they would do pin and pull stuff that no one else would do with their center because of how athletic he was and it shows up on film sometimes I know it's been a little bit up and down but how has he been playing this season and how do you think he's gonna hold up against Kenny Clark
2: yeah, he's been doing really well this season. He's he's really stood out to me. He he actually got a contract extension in the offseason um to, to be their their starting center. And actually last week against the Chiefs, I I think he was mic'd up or someone on the defensive line was mic'd up that was real near him. And just before every single snap, you could hear him making all the calls. And it was it was amazing for a nerd like myself hearing him making all the calls and um identifying the mic and like he was doing all of that. They they didn't put that on Heineke, that was all, all on Roulier, and and so he um he certainly has a, a big role on that offensive line um and he was rewarded with his contract in the offseason and he's been playing up to it this year they, they've been doing a lot of um a lot more uh sort of play action passes with a, with a pulling guard because they know really a can shift across and, and cut off a, a three technique trying to penetrate on with with, um, with the pull so um they've been doing a lot of that um as part of their play action game um and he's been holding up they they obviously trust him on screens as you say the pull kind of stuff in in the run game um if brandon sheriff is is back healthy which i'm not sure he will be but he I, i know he's been kind of working to the side of practice um the last few days so um i guess there's a chance um when those two are together, they they love those pin pinpool runs to the right, um, with those two pulling out and they do a phenomenal job doing that. So uh yeah, Chase Roulet has been playing very well. Um and the the thing that has stood out to me more than anything else has been the with sam cosme being a rookie at right tackle he's he struggled early um and, and what the offensive lines were trying to do is let random sheriff slide across to him as often as possible obviously they'll they'll chip every now and again and with a tight end or whatever, have you but they've been trying more often than not to have sheriff slide across and and that will often leave Rudier one-on-one with with a nose tackle um and he's been picking that up very well um so overall, I, I think he's been doing a phenomenal job. Um, how he'll do one-on-one with Kenny Clark, that, thats I, I don't know if he'll handle that necessarily one-on-one the whole game. Um, and, and obviously, you wouldn't design that as the plan. Um, and without Cosme at right tackle to worry about, or perhaps without the um, the pass rushers that you mentioned that are out missing um, on the edge, that they might not necessarily have to slide the guard out to help on the right tackle side. So uh, they might be able to keep a little bit more solid um, interior and and double up on Clark. Uh, I'd imagine that will probably be their, their focus with their pass protection plan this week.
1: Flipping to the other side of the ball. um, Just want to talk about green Bay a little bit on the front end. Uh, David Bakhtiari has returned to practice. He has 20. What now it's 19 days uh, to return to the team off of IR. Um, I don't know if he's going to go this week. I would assume that he's probably not just because the way that they've talked about him, they've basically said, we don't want to rush it. Right. So whenever you hear the staff say, we don't want to rush it, I'm immediately going to think, all right, he's not going to play this week. So that's kind of this situation up front. Josh Myers is out uh, at center. They had a backup come in, Lucas Patrick. He did actually a pretty good job. Everyone uh, on that staff said that he graded up as their top offensive lineman and and, in last week. So I don't think that's going to change by any means. Their weak point is kind of Royce Newman, who's been playing right guard for him. He did really well in the preseason, and he's had some struggles. Um, Some of it has been like mental lapses and not being able to pass off stunts correctly. Um, But Billy Turner at right tackle has kind of been just like the only vet on their line who has started every game. Um yep. and Rogers is, you know, has applauded him and said, you know, maybe he should be considered for uh, Pro Bowl this year. I don't know if I would go that far, but he's been doing pretty solid. So up front, even though they've had a lot of kind of turnover, I mean they're they at certain points they had Elton Jenkins out, they had David Bakhtiari out, and now they have Josh Myers their center out. So that whole kind of left side of the line has been a little bit of of a trouble. And then right guard, uh, they've had some issues, but Billy Turner's kind of been that guy um offensively i think their biggest problem right now obviously, mvs is out so they don't have a speed guy downfield that that's another thing that should probably be noted he hasn't returned to practice this week uh with that hamstring injury that he sustained against uh, the, the detroit lions their biggest issue right now they don't have tight ends that can play every down and that that's becoming increasingly important as they face good fronts so like against chicago Chicago went into a lot of bear stuff, um, which kind of takes out a lot of the zone game. If you're if you're going to play bear, basically what it is is, you essentially have three defensive tackles up front, right? So when you have three defensive tackles up front, you can't run inside. Run, okay? Well, you want to run outside, right? Wrong. The way that they line up their outside backers is they widen them out, so you can't win one on one on those stretch blocks, especially if it's Robert Tunyon going against Robert Quinn or Khalil Mack. So now what do you do? Their answer was they ran a bunch of like power and counter, essentially. But they couldn't get into it with Tunyon. They couldn't because Tunyon Tunyon is getting his butt whooped in the run game. So you either have to concede and say, okay, Mercedes Lewis is out there. He's going to be able to get some of these blocks. But he can't block counter because you don't want him pulling and going across the formation. That's not what you want to do with him. You want him in a three-point stance and you want him just teeing off against that defensive end. So they had to use uh, DeGuara, actually. You know, the guy everyone made fun of uh, for being a fullback or whatever. Um, They had to use him kind of as that move guy who would, you know, pull across the formation on on counter and stuff. But DeGuara has gotten his ass ripped by Aaron Rodgers for not knowing what to do in the passing game. So there's a lot of things going on in that tight end room. Um, Another thing to note, 95% of the time, this is a real stat 95% of the time that Robert Tunyon is lined up in the slot, it's a pass and even filtered out of like empty stuff. Cause green Bay is going into a lot more empty this year um, instead of like split back gun and all sorts of stuff like that, just because they're using the tight end to help kind of chip uh, these edge rushers when they had uh, Josh Nyman, you know, basically a practice squad player playing left tackle. They, they definitely needed a lot more help sure. uh, on, on the edges. Um, when they're not in empty. So they're like typical one back gun stuff. Like what you think of, like when you think of shotgun, it's still 92% of the time past when Robert Tony really? is in the slot. Yes. And if I know that Jack Del Rio should know that and Ron <laughs> yeah. Rivera should know that. Right. So, so that's, that's one of my biggest worries coming into the game is just, they're not really getting production out of the tight end position. And that's got to change at some point. And maybe that's their next, you know, recruiting, uh obstacle when a guy gets cut you know near the deadline and wants to chase a ring or something like that and they add add him for a vet minimum maybe the next position's tight end but they're just not getting it done up uh, done at that position i don't
2: think yeah Uh, i mean the 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 good thing for the packers in that regard is that washington has been horrible (laughs) defensively uh and even if you're telling that you're going to pass uh there's one thing knowing that the pass is coming and for Washington, it's a completely different thing trying to defend that pass um, because their units have been so disjointed. Um, You, the weird thing is, is that the last few weeks you, you would think that defensive line matches up well and gives Washington's defense an advantage. And I mean, it, it, it did last week you against the chiefs, um, they had some injuries up front, and you have that defensive line with four first rounders, and and you can chuck in Matt Ioannidis in there as well. Um, and you think that that should be enough to get pressure, and it did get some pressure. But it's such a disjointed unit. It's the defensive line; they've been doing a little bit better recently of running stunts and stuff, but for, and games. But for the most part, it's just been four guys go rush and they end up in the same lane or uh, they break contain and quarterbacks are especially guys like Rogers that can move around. Um, we saw it with Josh Allen. We saw it with Mahomes last week, like chase young can be a little bit ill-disciplined still, and, and he'll get run off the edge and, and give that huge lane um, for the quarterback to scramble to the right. So that I think um, is still a big plus for, for the Packers and, and trying to cover guys has just been a huge ordeal for Washington they they it seems like everyone's on different pages like the the secondary are all all individually talented guys but you have a guy like William Jackson who's more of a press man corner you have a uh, and opposite him you have Kendall Fuller who's more of a off guy a zone guy likes to play with vision on the quarterback and and they don't they don't kind of mix together well and you've kind of seen that throughout the whole season so far is that it's kind of been a bunch of individuals occasionally making plays but when it comes to a coverage unit um it's kind of all broken down and gone terribly wrong and and they've given up a lot of big plays and a lot of points
1: yeah and that's i think that's an indictment of the coaching staff right i think that's what everyone points to and says defensively They have issues because of the coaching staff. When you have those four guys up front, again, we're just going to list them out right now. Chase Young, Deron Payne, uh, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat. Every NFL team would be in the market for every single one of those players. And then, uh, like you mentioned, I I can't say his last name, Matt. Matt Matt Ioannidis. Matt Ioannidis. Uh, I remember when I was watching, uh, I think it was like the NFL 1000 uh, project for Bleacher Report. I was breaking down like NFC. Uh, defensive lineman basically week to week and he was a guy who even his rookie year you know you could see it you're like this is this is very much an NFL player um he he might not be a stud but if that's your third defensive tackle like you're happier than a pig rolling crap you know what I mean (laughs) so William Jackson's had up and down years before uh Landon Collins obviously is good in certain situations like he's a very good drop down safety um but beyond that uh if you're using him in the middle of the field or anything like that obviously kind of his limitations show up and then Kenneth fuller is like kind of playing in the slot a little bit too right like when they get into nickel he kicks in
2: yeah they so they started the year with they have a a rookie benjamin st juice that um they like they drafted because of his length and they did a press and and the thought was is that they'd have the two kind of press corners and jackson and st juice on the edge um and, and they'd have uh fuller slide into the slot which is what he did in washington before he got traded to the Chiefs in the Alex Smith deal. Um, but uh, he really struggled moving back into the slot, uh, particularly playing man coverage. Um, and so what they've kind of done recently is they've gone to a, a three safety nickel package where uh, Cam Curl has kind of played what they call the Buffalo nickel, which is just big nickel. Um, and, and he's kind of been playing as, uh, as the the nickel back and Kendall Fuller stayed outside um, and, and, that's been a little bit better for Fuller, but they're, they're still struggling to get everyone on the same page because then you, you're playing a little bit more zone with that um, because you've got safeties trying to cover slot receivers. And and then William Jackson has kind of been struggling on the other side to transition as a guy that's uh, been a press man corner um, to now trying to play off coverage and, and zone and with vision and um, trying to match up different routes. That's not really his game. And then he's really struggled with that. Um, so it's kind of been a big mismatch. Um, and you mentioned Alan, Landon Collins that last week they ended up calling him a linebacker. And like, that's been the big story in Washington this week that Ron Rivera has said, uh, I, I see him as a downhill linebacker and Collins kind of is taking that as an insult because any safety probably would. Um, but you know, his, his coverage ability, as you say, deep is not very good. Um, and he, he has always been kind of a box safety and, um, better with his run fits than he has been as, as a coverage guy. And that's kind of how they played him. Certainly last week against the chiefs, he, he was, he played maybe four or five snaps as kind of a deep half safety or a quarter safety, but for the most part, he was, a linebacker in the box um so it, yeah it's been a very mismatchy set of parts for washington on the back end and uh just about every week there, there's something new going wrong um and different different holes popping up that they're trying to plug how is uh last guy
1: defensively i want to talk about Jamin davis how has he been playing i, I broke him down again because i was working uh, Bleach Report stuff, I broke down kind of the front seven guys for him in this upcoming draft class. I never really saw first round talent out of him. He obviously was very athletic. Um, yeah. He basically wasn't productive until his last year at Kentucky. He's a very young player in that like he wasn't even really starting um, until th- his last year at Kentucky. So he very much was like a raw guy who as soon as it kind of like clicked for him in that like he could be a feasible player on an SEC field he then went to the draft so that's always kind of tricky where it's like ah I wish you would have gotten more reps under you at the college level yeah. before you went pro but he's obviously very athletic um everything else I thought was kind of a little bit of a limitation so he was kind of like a work in progress how has his progress been you know this season
2: it's been very slow um but I, I think For me, when I watched him, I I could see the talent and the potential there and obviously the athleticism. Um, I I thought he was a will. I I think you put him as a will linebacker and you you kind of keep him a little bit protected and and he knows his role and he can play it. Um, They basically said, no, you're the Mike and we're going to try to put as much on your shoulders as possible and see what you can handle. And I understand that thinking long-term because if he can pick it up and – he can get into the system early and make all those calls early, then you're set at the mic position long term. But he struggled picking it all up and, and making the calls. And you could see in preseason, he was playing Mike and they had John Bostick playing um, Will. And it was Bostick was the one making all the calls because he was the Mike back last year. Um, so you could see Davis was struggling. And to the start of the season, Davis, every time there was a, a run play. He was a, a step late kind of diagnosing exactly what was going on and, and, checking is the quarterback keeping that on a bootleg or, um, you know, wh- where exactly was the ball, where exactly is my fit. And, and that would left him late to plays and, you know, let offensive linemen reach him that offensive linemen shouldn't be reaching him. at all. Cause he's incredibly athletic. So, um, you know, that, that has been an issue for him and, and he's had a really slow start, um, for the for the first five weeks, he he, I don't think he played more than fifty percent of the snaps in any of the games. Um, last week against the Chiefs, I think it started to click for him a little bit. Um, and, and they had Cole Holcomb take over at the play calling. Um, and Holcomb's playing Sam, but he's still calling the plays, and D- Davis is kind of playing the mic but playing the will at times as well um they're, they're kind of moving guys around up there um as I say it's quite flexible with where guys are playing right now uh Landon Collins is in the mix up there as well so um last week we saw him start to be a little bit more instinctive and and start to trigger a little bit quicker and you know he notices a pulling guard he's like okay that's I've that's power I've got to get outside there and, and scrape to the edge and, and make that play so you, you know he's he's starting to get there slowly. um, And they obviously they want him on the field because of his athleticism and his coverage ability um, and his coverage potential, certainly. Um, And we saw a little bit of that, but because he's been so slow in the run game, um, they've not been able to trust him on the field that much. Um, But I think John Bostick got hurt and, and he's out. So it's basically been... Either they play Holcomb and Davis together, or they've been experimenting with this 5D line package and uh, five, and, a, and a big nickel. So it's literally just been called Holcomb, the only linebacker on the field. Um, so they've been kind of hiding him a little bit there. But last week we saw him finally start to get a little bit more reps and and show a little bit more of the potential that he does have.
1: I I do always wonder, whenever you get like the head coach who coaches – who's played the position at a high level and then drafts an athletic guy a little too high at that same position, how much that comes into play, right? Like how can you go into the room? Like you're a scout for the Washington football team and you're telling Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio, both who played linebacker at the NFL level, like, no, this guy can't play. He's athletic, but I don't know if you can coach him up. I I don't think that they're going to take, you can't coach him up uh, too well. You know what I mean? Like that, that's always something I wonder. And then, you brought up the green dot. That definitely is something that matters in terms of like just getting the comms in and being able to get guys set. Right. Um, even a guy like miles Jack will tell you uh, he's better when he doesn't have the green dot. That's a pro bowl caliber uh, linebacker at the NFL level telling you. I, I don't really like having the comms. I don't like having all that. I would just kind of want to line up and chase and run and play. And for yep. a lot of those athletic guys, I mean, it might be better to kind of take that off of their plate. Um, yep. Let's get into predictions uh, and wrap this up because I know you got to get out of here. Packers, football team, the Packers
2: are double-digit favorites. How, how are you feeling? I would say that's probably about right. <laughs> the the only, It's weird because every week I, I kind of talk myself into thinking, well, if this is the week the defensive line clicks, they can take over a game because they're that talented and, and maybe that gives them a chance and as you say there's the Packers have had some issues up front and um the def- maybe the defensive line has been steadily improving and, and they're getting their act together but I, I just I don't trust the coverage behind them to hold up and there's kind of been a a pattern emerging of how teams have been attacking them and getting the ball out quickly and Washington just doesn't have, have a, an answer for it so um I, I think I'd, I'd be surprised if Washington came particularly close to to even keeping the game within a score
1: I I think I agree with you I would still take I I would not bet on this game frankly um (laughs) with the line that's out there right now just because I think the the book on how to slow Green Bay down at least not necessarily beat them but slow them down is kind of out there you're seeing every team do it to them they come, out in the, they come out in the game. Defensively, they play too high. They basically do that, and then just – it's just bloodletting, right? Just the slow churn down the field until you go up two scores, and then they have to start getting into pressure packages and stuff like that. The one benefit into playing that way is that if you can get a sack, the drive's dead, right? We watched that against uh, Chicago. Um, just it, – it only takes one play. If, if yep. you're if you're forcing them to every play, you, it's just chipping down the field, and you can get one positive, they're off the field. That's how it works. Yep. Um, so that would kind of be my hesitation there on on betting on Green Bay in terms of like the point spread. The other thing too, Chicago only allowed twenty four points. Green Bay actually converted in in the red zone uh, this past week. They went three of uh, four for touchdowns, and Green Bay on a per play basis had the highest EPA of any team last week. Really? They only scored 24 points because they only got like six possessions in the whole game. It's just, right. you just mark it up. And then defensively their run game outside of Kenny Clark, isn't good enough to get teams off of the field. Devondre the Campbell's had a great season too. Um, he should legitimately be in the pro bowl uh, voting conversation uh, whenever he's up, but they just don't have a lot of dudes up front right now. And part of that is outside linebacker just being so banged up, but there's not a lot of defensive line talent out there either. I mean, you're basically hoping that Dean Lowry gets like three penetration plays in the backfield every week, kind yeah. um, of to, just to help your run defense. So I'm kind of on the same page with you. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily like bloodbath level. I, d- I don't think your team is banged up enough for that unless, you know, all these wide receivers are out. So that That's the big thing I would think, you know, you, you can watch some of these teams like uh, Indianapolis right now was a great example against uh, uh, Baltimore uh, a couple of weeks ago on, I think it was Monday night um, where they're down to their fourth and fifth cornerback. And then Lamar's, it's just like, he's throwing on air. It's like seven, <laughs> and seven, basically. Right. You can get some of those teams like that. Th- that's when you see the bloodbath is the cluster injuries, especially at, prevention positions right like the secondary or the offensive line i don't think washington's in that situation right now so i'm gonna take green bay but i would not bet on this game yep I, I think that's totally fair uh do you want to plug your stuff again on the back end right now
2: uh sure candy um so uh my twitter is uh, at mark Bullock nfl uh and uh my Substack game was uh, markbullock.substack.com. there we go appreciate the time mark uh, of course anytime